podcast is brought to you by Ancestors. Ancestors is the UK's largest bleach-free, plastic-free and gynaecology-approved period care brand. From 100% organic cotton tampons, pads and liners to reusable period pants and period cups, Ancestors has got you covered. There's no nasties here. Period. Check out our range at Ancestors.com. Welcome to Sisterhood, the podcast with me, Lucy Lettis, co-founder of Eco Period Care Brand and Sisters. Firstly, I'd like to caveat that when I refer to the word woman in these podcasts, this is referring to anyone assigned female at birth. I want the trans and non-cis community to be included and represented in all conversations discussed in this podcast. My guest this week is sex educator and sexpert Debbie Beer. Speaking openly about topics that are all too often swept under the carpet and discussed in hushed tones, Debbie's informative communication style makes talking about sex and intimacy approachable to all. So welcome, Debbie. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'd love for you to give a little bit of an introduction to yourself, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm Debbie. I go by Sex Debbie. It's quite often <laughs> that woman that everyone's like, oh, it's that sex woman. It's that woman. <laughs> about sex and and so sex debbie was just the easy go-to because so often we say it could be sort of love and carefulness or you could brand your yeah. business in different ways but ultimately she's the woman that talks about sex and so say so, as it is straight as it is yeah not to be <laughs> sexy debbie which is a very different <laughs> i always like to say <laughs> just one letter can completely change the meaning <laughs> change that google search so yeah <laughs> absolutely and so I'm a sex educator um and when I say sex educator that isn't what just what we think of a sex education which is for young people actually I talk about sex with anyone that will listen so not only young people but actually adults as well I do lots of workshops and all kinds of things and actually it's about sex re-education for a lot of us not just sex education so that's me and I, I I'm based in the southwest of the UK but travel all over talking to anyone I can <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you for that intro. I'd love really quickly to just, so you said a sex free educator. Why do you say sex re-educator? So I say sort of sex educator, sex re-educator, because we all, as a part of the national curriculum in the UK, have sex education or what is called sex education. But that doesn't necessarily fulfill what I think is sex education and what some of the things that actually we wish we would have known. And and I also think that sex education is ongoing. It's something it's not something that you have and then that's it. You know it all. We're off into the wilderness to discover it with all, with all of our genitals. Actually, it's not the case. Sex re-education is something we need to almost like annually check in and almost check it back in ourselves and have that refresher course of like, oh yeah, okay, I remember how to do that. A bit like a first aid course that we, you know, we annually refresh that if we've got that certificate. So we're the same with our sex education because we all change. None of us are the same people we were when we were having our first sexual experiences to now, to further on down the line. Like we all go through all so many different life chapters and actually our sex life evolves with that. So we constantly need to check in with sort of sexuality and who we are and what that means to us. Definitely. That makes total sense. So, so I'd love to understand how you got into this area of work. It's obviously super, super important. There's a lot of t- taboo around it. I'd just love to hear how you, yeah, how you got into this area of work, how this came to you. It's my most asked question. So at everyone, I would only use a networking thing or you're at a wedding or anything. You're like, what do you do? Oh, I just talk about sex. Well, how do you get to that? And and what always shocks everyone is it's something I've wanted to do ever since I was young. So you go to anyone I went to school with, and they'll be like, like they've got in contact with me, or if they found me on my on my social media and said, "Oh my God, you're doing what you always said you do." And this yeah. is 
I've since I was a little girl, it was just I was fascinated that there was stuff that people didn't want to talk about. Why didn't they want to talk about this? I'd ask questions. I remember asking my mum what a vir- what a virgin was because I'd been asked if I was a virgin, and I was like, no, because I didn't know what that word meant. And it's I mean, it's a word that can get in the bin anyway, which we'll go into later it's for absolute rubbish. But it's I just my mum. I remember going, well, what's a virgin? I've been asked what a virgin was, and she died of embarrassment in front of her friends. So I just come out just with it, and I was thinking, well, wow, there's there's something that's shameful here. I remember saying, I'll tell you when I'm older. I'll tell you when you're older. So I think, well, what's this? What is this? What age? What magic age do I get to when you find all this information out? And then primary school, we sort of had the genital conversation and what sexual reproduction meant. And apparently, I brought in um, books from the library to show people because I was I snuck them out and was just fascinated and talking more about it and rude words and different things. So just it fascinated me that I could hear conversations kind of going on the sidelines with adults, but no one was talking to us about it. And then as I got older, you get things in magazines and agony aunt columns and you hear things on the radio and snippets of different TV programs. We used to have local radio stations with a fabulous presenter called Graham Torrington. They used to have Graham Torrington's Late Night Love. And it was on like after like nine, ten o'clock. I like, love that. And like listen to it in my bedroom. And and it was just an absolute fascination that why is this on later? What is it about? Why is it all secretive? Um, and so I really wanted to work in terms of sex, sex therapy, sex education, anything to do with sort of helping couples, sex and crime. Um, and I went to university and did criminology and sociology because when I went to university there wasn't really anything specific in it unless it was like doctor medical stuff which wasn't the route I wanted to go down I wanted to speak to people um and so I did criminology and sociology but within that I specialized it in gender and sex and sex and crime and all these different areas sort of specialized it as where I could with my dissertation being in sort of sex education and where we get our sex education from ultimately and then since then I've done various qualifications with um sex therapy and different sort of talking courses and workshops and I'm currently studying at the National Film and Television School with like factual production of how we get programs and stuff like that so yeah it's very varied very bonkers absolutely love it um yeah (laughs) amazing so so for all listeners who don't necessarily know what a sex educator is are you able to maybe explain a little bit about your sort of obviously you mentioned you used to speak to lots of different ages of people but sort of you know obviously you talk a lot about sex and intimacy and I guess go into details but you know for any listeners that you know don't understand or or want to maybe understand more about how you might be able to help them if you could yeah give a little bit of an explanation to that as I said in this country especially in the UK we think of sex education as something that we have for young people and it's not and actually my majority of my work is actually with adults Um, so I do go into schools I do work with universities and colleges and all different people like that but actually the workshops that are the most popular and the most in demand are working with adults to understand how sex affects them in their everyday life all the time so whether it's looking at talking to couples about maintaining and strengthening their relationships and sort of workshops and worksheets and how we can work on that, whether it's workplaces, talking about how menopause might affect workplaces and how we upskill our management, same with periods, how actually no matter what gender or you know reproductive organs you have to understand periods of menopause and how that affects women and and everyone that has them in the workplace then that's really really crucial um and talking to brands so this could be like sex toy brands it could be lubrication brands it could be all kinds of sex brands they there's some amazing products out there on the market 
whether it's period care, whether it's sex toys, whether it's anything like that, but actually talking to people in a really relatable sense and explaining how to use it. Because understandably, you can't do an advert with how to use it <laughs> because obviously that crosses over with some advertising boundaries and you know <laughs> the porn world and all the rest of it. And actually, sometimes we just need someone to speak to and explain what they're for in a really normal way. Same with period products. You know, we've got fantastic new period products on the market, but talking about it really literally and how you use it and what that means is is and breaking down those barriers because with any sex products or any sort of sex conversations we have the sort of what we've seen on tv sort of side of things what the item is or what this position is for example but actually how it works and how it's good for you that real explanation is is needed and we we don't connect the dots there and it, it's either goes into sort of either the realms of porn and things that are just not where we need to get our education from necessarily at the more fantasy world rather than reality or the literal sort of medical sense of things and there's no in between sometimes and so I'm there to just connect the dots and have people think how often have we all thought am I normal is this right am I okay like and just have someone go oh yeah that happens to me too or this happens <laughs> absolutely fine to have um air trapped in your vagina and do what people might call a fanny fart during sex completely normal <laughs> it's a one-way street and air's going to get trapped up there if you're pushing things in there all the time but it's not embarrassing and we just have to laugh about it and all of a sudden everyone's like oh, that happens to you too oh my gosh <laughs> Like, it's not just me. I just have someone to say <laughs> things that other people find really embarrassing, but actually yeah. they're not. And there's nothing to be ashamed about. And it happens to everyone. Just the same with like our period care, period leaks. You know, how often has someone shoved a tampon up their sleeve and run to the toilet mm-hmm. or coughed when they're opening a sanitary towel, even though they're in a, usually in a toilet full of people who are experiencing exactly the same thing? Why? Why? Where's that shame come from? Where's it built in from within us? And so, yeah. yeah. Break those all down for everyone, be it in workplaces, with brands, in educational establishments, organisations, wherever. It's so true, though. I, I, I completely agree with wanting to be told something kind of intimate or personal that happens to you is totally normal. And it's so sad that we isolate ourselves and potentially go down a Google rabbit hole when actually these, these you know, there are amazing people like you discussing these topics. We just need to to seek them out. We just need to be more open about it. And that's, you know, it, it facilitates that idea of sex being taboo or, you know, stigmatized because actually the more we talk about it, the more it normalizes, you know, so many different things and actually makes us feel so much better about ourselves as well. And probably, I don't know, improves mental well-being, you know, mental health. And that obviously has so, in itself, you know, so many positive uh, benefits. But I'd love to kind of um, touch upon something that you mentioned there, which is, you know, is that something that you come up against a lot, the sort of porn versus sex education conversation? Yeah. So I once heard this quote years and years and years ago, and I cannot think where the life of me where I, I heard it from, but I use it all the time. And it's, you wouldn't learn how to drive by watching Fast and Furious films. So you shouldn't learn to how to have sex from watching porn films. One's a fantasy, one's a reality. They're two very different things. And one's very extreme and can take you down all kinds of fabulous storylines. And that's not <laughs> just we should avoid watching Fast and Furious or we should avoid watching porn, but actually making good choices and understanding the difference between reality and fantasy and how that sort of plays an effect. And also, you know, these storylines and the extremities and how far we can push the boundaries in certain things and how that perhaps wouldn't happen in every day. And also the importance of consent 
consent and everything around that. So it's, it's really crucial. I know porn is a really um, emotive topic for a lot of people and they get really head up about it. And actually, I get that. I get that we have young people with phones, every younger, and, and stuff is going to be exposed to them really common, really regularly. How do we then police that? Difficult, but actually policing it, we can't always do but we can have those conversations and the younger we have those conversations the better because then we're actually empowering young people and also having those conversations with partners everyone's awkward about that we all understand that some partners might watch porn some might not what no matter their gender no matter their sexuality porn is a reality in everyone's world um but actually having a conversation about that and being okay with it and understanding that that is okay as long as it's not taking over our lives and it's not framing our lives in a negative way it's not having a negative effect on our sexual relationships and just making sure it's sort of communicated and balanced and understanding of that sort of fantasy and reality dynamic I think is really important yeah definitely and to go back to kind of what you mentioned about the re-education without going into kind of two specific examples are you able to give a snippet of something that potentially an adult had been taught in sex education many years ago and what the reality of that same situation is or what they might be taught now yeah so I think we all can agree that in terms of what we're taught in school especially a few years ago it was uh, sex gets you pregnant and sex gives you STIs and it's like <laughs> oh my god this is terrifying this is gonna happen <laughs> like if I let a penis near me that's <laughs> It's going to cross the room at a fast speed <laughs> and I'm going to be pregnant and that's the end of my life. Um, yeah. <laughs> actually, yes, that could happen. You could get pregnant from having sex. Absolutely. But one, um, sex just doesn't just mean a penis going into a vagina. Actually, yeah. to me, sex is an umbrella term that could do any kind of sort of interaction that is sexual or that you yeah. might sexually aroused and all these different things that's more inclusive and actually more of a reality we shouldn't have all the focus about penises going into vaginas because 80 percent of those with clitorises get their sort of pleasure from that point rather than from penetration so that's something that we really need to focus on um pregnancy also doesn't come that easy to a lot of people you don't just put a penis inside a vagina and make a baby that's not the common place a lot of people need fertility treatment and a lot of people yeah. help some people take months of trying years of trying everyone's different and that's I think that shocks a lot of people when they start trying for a baby they think it's gonna be really easy and all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's not, but we've not been taught otherwise yeah. Um, yeah and then the STI thing we I think we've all seen textbooks with really gross pictures to sort of scare mm-hmm. us away from STIs with like all this discharge and all these scary things STIs are not great we don't want stis um but rather than stigmatizing the sti and saying like oh my god stis are gross actually stis are just a thing and actually we live in the uk we're lucky to have the nhs and have antibiotics and they're amazing we're lucky enough to have prep and different treatments for hiv so actually we are really far ahead in terms of medicine now and yes stis aren't sort of a welcome thing that we want but we can get rid of them really easy and instead of saying don't get stis what we should be saying is get regularly tested testing being sti tested is not a scary thing it's a really easy simple procedure and actually Actually, if we normalize and celebrate it, getting STI tested regularly and asking you know, new sexual partners, have you been STI tested and sharing that information, then, my God, we're all going to live a much healthier existence and better. Everyone's going to have much better sex and it's going to be much easier, and much more enjoyable if we just have these awkward conversations and make them sort of normalize and not to take away that sort of cringe awkwardness about it. Because yeah. quite often 
say, are you STI tested? People go, oh, no, I'm clean. It's nothing about being clean or dirty. It's not nothing about how many partners you've had. It's just about that, you know, you wouldn't, nowadays since COVID, we wear a mask. So if we've got a cold or we're coughing, it's the sort of same thing. It's just that being careful, just being aware and being honest and communicating, I think. So, yeah, those would be my sort of my three things, penis and vagina, pregnancy and STIs, medicines and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's I think that's yeah, great advice. I I wonder if you're able to explain a little more about the kind of STI side or maybe offer any advice on if anyone is listening and is concerned about going for a test or kind of concerned what it might entail if you're able to kind of offer tips. So an STI test is really easy and it's really routine. And I think we need to remember that it, you can be, have, have it at a GP surgery. You can go to a sex clinic or a gum clinic. It might have been called gen, gen, uterinary medicine. I never say those words, but gum clinic is usually what it comes across. No, I definitely didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always get my sort of tongue tied around trying to do it. <laughs> The gum clinic, GP, and also some walking clinics as well. They all they all do these things. It's, it's confidential. It's anonymous. You don't have to tell anyone that you've been. Um, so that they do those things within, say, if you have a vulva, within that test, you'll get a swab. So it's usually your legs sort of go and stir. It's a bit like a smear. You have a swab. Um, and then you can also have a blood test if you want to test for usually sort of your hepatitis and your HIV. And sometimes there might be a urine test as well, depending what they're looking for. They might also want to check the exterior of your genitals for things like herpes and warts. It's really easy. It's really routine. Um, my husband had never had an STI test before we got married. And you can actually annul marriage in the UK if you give your partner an STI. And so I I took him along just to have one, knowing full well he, he wasn't, you know, someone who had a lot of sexual partners before me and we'd already been together five years before we got married but I just wanted to have that experience because something you've never had yeah. experience before and I was like actually if we go on to have children which we have I want you to be able to talk to them about it and so it's not scary and so yeah no it's for, for if you have a penis it's a swab that obviously goes into the urethra everyone says it's like horrific but actually it's it's not it's a bit of discomfort very very quickly over and done with and then again perhaps it could be a, a check of the exterior genitals as well as a maybe a urine sample and a blood test depending what you're looking for if you're having a full screening or not if you're looking for just say chlamydia which is the most common then you can get a, a swab that you can put in the post quite a lot of pharmacies you get them in Sainsbury's Tesco's all kinds of places you just pick them up usually in these big buckets with a big thing like a germ symbol on says chlamydia my children were asking what they were the other day so I got one and showed them um <laughs> bearing in mind there four and seven they already know it totally all. fine not that the yeah. better it's brilliant right. talk about everything and so um so we, we you have do those in the post but what I think is really important is great get that free chlamydia test and great go and do it but please be aware that that actually is only looking for chlamydia and it is really important to get that full screening as well we also have gonorrhea on the rise at the moment in this country so you know crack on and get a full check it's really book that appointment and stick to that appointment so many people book the appointment don't turn up book it stick to it and then it's a peace of mind for you both it's for everyone you don't want to be finding out later down the line you've had something for a long time and then obviously condom use condoms are amazing now we've got so many sizes and varieties and we call instead of we sort of different fits and different styles and it's finding find what's right for you because if you have 
a penis and every penis is different actually finding what feels good what's right because no one wants anything that's too uncomfortable no one wants something that's slipping off no one wants something that's too tight and actually this is the same if you have a vulva and you're having sex with someone with a penis then you know if you don't like the ridge ones or the bump ones or you like certain types or you have an allergy to latex absolutely find a brand or something that works for you and keep that like it's no shame whoever you are in having a supply of contraception ready for you for when if you have an encounter because you never know what when or when or where something's going to happen it could be very exciting night out and it could turn (laughs) yeah 100% I think yeah that's great advice and from experience I think it's one of those things that you it you know you you don't dread it but it's sort of like on your mind you think oh you know I should go and have that that you know, check test similar, I think, for women with having a smear test. Yeah. I think that's that similar kind of mindset. Like it really, you know, you don't really want to do it, but actually going and having it done will put your mind at ease. And if there, you know, is any cause of concern, raise that concern and then it can be addressed. So I think, yeah, putting it off, if if anything, it's just, you know, it's it's a problem for another day. And and actually you could kind of, you know, address it now and, and most likely you'll feel much, you know, much better for it. So yeah, I completely agree. Great advice. And it's done. Once, once you get that text to say it's fine or that call, you can address it. And it's addressed so quickly. If you have to have antibiotics, there's it's like two tablets and it's done. So it's so, 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 yeah. And I mean, I am not guilt-free. I've had chlamydia. I, I've been there and worn the T-shirt. So you've <laughs> ever seen as someone who's preaching you, this is what you must do. Like we've all been there. But my chlamydia wouldn't have been picked up had I not been having regular STI tests yeah. with partners as and when. So, yeah. No, exactly. Great advice. So I'd love now to discuss a little bit about kind of sex and intimacy after giving birth and also for kind of partners and families, just, you know, after the introduction of a newborn into your kind of family unit and and how that changes things. And and if you have any advice or if you kind of speak to women, families regularly about this, if you have any learnings from that. Yeah, so I talk about this regularly. This is something that I do workshops on and I've spoken about media before. So one, as a society, we seem to get that mums still have sex and we might not want to think about our own mums having sex, (laughs) parents having sex or whoever it is, but actually motherhood is still sexy. Like I think in films and TV, people become mothers and it's like they're happily ever after and that's it. It's like, hey guys, everything still works like you can still go and like enjoy yourself 98 or however old you are I think actually remembering that we can still be sexy and we can still enjoy sex absolutely own that but I completely understand that people might find that hard it's a hard transition because not only society telling you that mums don't have sex and we shouldn't think about parents having sex because gross like you're past it like ridiculous but there's all these (laughs) that is that sort of stereotype of having that there so not only is society telling us that but also our body is all of a sudden not our own like our body has has grown a human birthed the human and perhaps feeding a human you've got perhaps some smell of breast milk half the time (laughs) covered in like the baby food like everything is chaos and not only having to think of your own schedule every day but also your children's schedule whether they've got packed lunch and all the rest of it and so you think, well, who has the time? <laughs> Where does that come from? I think, I think all these thoughts go through everyone's head. And so what we have to think is like, oh, okay, where where do we find that time? Where do we find that space? And 
I think a lot of parents, especially mothers, find that they feel overtouched and overstimulated. Quite often they've all day they've had the kids on them perhaps or come home from work and they're just constantly on you for a few hours. And so when they've gone to bed and your partner comes over and sort of, hey, <laughs> and you think, I just want to be left alone. Like, I don't want anyone to touch me right now. And I think that's really, really, really normal. But what we need to think is how we communicate that and how we communicate that in the right way for everyone that no one's offended <laughs> and actually yeah. that's about just the mother saying no all the time actually we need to have look at, at, at all partners as well being really careful and how we approach that so communication is massive um obviously if you've recently given birth always wait till your bleeding has stopped and your cervix is closed because we don't want infections and anything like that ensure that your stitches have healed and any tearing is better also understand that, yeah, that's going to be scary the first time you have sex, just like the first time you have a poo. Um, <laughs> different, and it's all a bit, ah. And so take your time. So take your time, not only having sex and initially initiating that sexual contact, but if you're looking at penetration vaginally, take your time. It is totally okay to stop at any point. Just because you said yes to something and said you're ready doesn't mean you can't say no and stop at any point. You don't have to go through with it. That is, I don't care if you've been together all your life, you're married, whatever, you can always stop. And that's a really important part of consent that we forget, I think, quite a lot. Yeah. It's been a long-term relationship and it's a partner and you haven't had sex for a while, if you've had a baby, you feel obliged. Mm. It should never be an obligation. And actually, again, as we said earlier, sex isn't just penis and vagina. Sex is all kinds of sort of sexual contact. So we can look yeah. at it and other things. So take time. Um, lube, lube is your friend. You can't just get lube and think, oh, this is going to solve all my problems because it's not. But lube is amazing. It's the one thing I say, add to your bedside cupboard, anyone and everyone, lube, lube, lube. Like it's, a, you know, before you buy, you know, your sex toys, your sex swings, your sexy underwear, whatever, lube. <laughs> so get a good water-based lube your vaginal ph is really sensitive again find the one that suits you avoid flavorings and avoid sensation ones just to start with to so that infection is reduced because obviously some of them have quite a lot of sugars in and can leave you a bit sticky and a bit just go for a nice simple water-based lube there's loads of really good brands um so take time use lube communicate and then it's just, it's a case of desire. It's that case of, oh, I am knackered. I really am not feeling sexy right now. So how do we build that desire? So looking at how we reconnect with each other and reintroducing date nights. And that doesn't mean, like, you have babies now. You can't necessarily get babysitters all the time and go out or they're breastfeeding mm-hmm. or whatever. That doesn't mean you have to go out and wine and dine. It just means switching your phone off and the TV off and actually taking time yeah. to play a board game or sit in the garden with a glass of wine or whatever it might be and just take that time to chat or reconnect or go for a walk or with a kid in the buggy anything like that so you just take time to find each other again because we often lose what connects us and there's nothing worse than when a partner says oh I love you because you're a great mum or I love you because well what do you love about me like what makes me me like that's that's made me feel sexy like I know Mm. I'm I'm trying my best to be a great mum and I'm really great (laughs) great mum but like oh I'm not feeling like I'm not feeling like great about my like self <laughs> so um yeah about how we say those conversations and how we reconnect and then also reintroducing touch and not just touch because you're like trying to initiate sex because so often our partner might touch us and we might think oh god they're gonna want some later because I'm squeezing <laughs> oh god and then it's that dread that before bed dread like oh god I'm gonna have to do this and oh <laughs> And then, oh, I'll wear my hair like this and put my biggest pajamas on so they know I don't want it. But they're not actually going to communicate. <laughs> so actually, how do we have this conversation? 
And how do we reintroduce touch every day that's not initiating sex? So it's those lingering kisses, hello, goodbye, as we walk past each other, those gentle touches eat all day long. So to make, try doing it 10 times a day, introduce it as a habit, it will feel totally weird at first but reintroduce that habit of touching each other. It's called something called sexual currency and it will increase your desire within your subconscious. And actually it will slowly sort of make you feel more sexual and more desirable, reconnect in a way that we're not necessarily aware of all the time. And just, it just helps. So that's what I'd say. And thinking of those touches, sometimes if we're being touched by little hands all day, little like strokey touches aren't what we want from our partner. It just makes us feel a bit, oh, actually what we sometimes need is a real hug a real tight long squeeze or different sort of elements of touch that make us feel good rather than the sort of like wispy yeah no totally (laughs) And, (laughs) um, and are there any is there kind of is there anything that you hear regularly from women kind of who have had sex or kind of tried to be intimate with their partner and have just really not enjoyed it are there any kind of big things like potentially pain or the fear of pain or as you said kind of being overstimulated and therefore not enjoying the kind of those intimate moments is there anything that you hear regularly that you know just for our listeners I guess to put their mind at ease maybe that actually that is normal I hear a lot of people saying their desire it's a desire imbalance of desire their partner really wants it and they don't and actually what I always say is desire is not inbuilt we're not inbuilt with certain high or low sex drives actually desire Mm. is made up of much more than that it's Mm. the environmental factors it's the psychological factors as well as the physical touch factors so actually look at rebalancing what feels good for you and having those communications so on my Mm. website these worksheets called sex exercises and we work is talking about working through these questions working out what feels good for you in different ways being really honest about it understanding that it's not a conflict it's not a criticism actually to say I like this I like this I like this and for a partner to go we didn't like that last year well actually that's okay because we change and it's we're different now and it's a whole new life chapter and that's totally okay um so having those conversations and making that leveling up that desire in different ways and looking at how if you're scared of having a lot of people are scared of having sex after having a baby especially if you've had a vaginal birth or even a cesarean because it's your body has changed and it is different um, and so actually just taking that time, going steady. Uh, it's not about having a glass of wine and just using lube. It's more to that because it's in our it's in our it's in our head a lot of it. And it's us telling ourselves, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, we're worried about it. And actually communicating that with our partner is important. A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people have got it in their head and they build it up. And they might talk about it with their girlfriends because it feels more comfortable talking about it with their girlfriends. But they don't necessarily talk about it with the person they're having sex with, which I think is really normal because we're worried about it's going to cause an argument and it's not yeah. we feel vulnerable but actually that partner will be really understanding because if it's a partner with a penis they wouldn't want to have sex with their penis ripped mm-hmm. in half and if it's a partner with a vulva they completely understand that they also like wouldn't want to be it but actually we, we they they assume that you're okay with it because you haven't said anything and you're assuming yeah. you know, like you just no one's a mind reader basically yeah. just that definition for sure and just it's kind of purely factual um do you have any information on w- when it's sort of advised or kind of allowed to have yep. sex after birth so there's lots of different information there so it's a case of you obviously a lot of people have your six week check yeah which is sort of just checking everything's okay checking with the doctor all the rest of it now you don't have to wait for your six week check what yep. but what you do need to wait for is the bleeding has stopped 
Yeah. There's no postpartum bleeding at all because that will ensure that your cervix is closed because obviously anything, any ejaculate or any you know bacteria or anything that will go in during penetration actually could cause an infection, which we don't want. Um, tearing stitches need to be healed. Again, any movement or touch around that area could cause an infection, which again, we absolutely don't want. So really ensuring that you're comfortable, that 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 tissue is healed, that any sort of bleeding has stopped and you sort of are aware of your body. I think what's really important is, and what women don't do, is take a mirror down there and have a look. We don't do that even before we've had a baby, let alone after we've had a baby. And it's like, oh God. And that's the first thing I did. And I laugh about it now because I I had two very big babies. So my babies were 10 pound 12 and 11 pound 12. Wow. Massive. And so full well knowing, full well knowing that they were massive. I had my first vaginally and my second by cesarean. But I went into the bathroom after having him and I was just like, to my husband can you just turn around for a minute because I just need to see what's going on downstairs because I I needed to be aware because I, I I think it's really really important that we know our bodies like we need yeah. to know what's going on and what's right for them and so the any change then happen yes it might you might think oh my god am I looking at a car crash what am I looking at here like oh crikey but it's completely normal it's completely natural we have a fabulous NHS that can help fix anything that's happened that's a problem and talking if you feel that you're not right at that six-week check say if you feel that you're not right after that six-week check it is totally okay to say go in you and you need to know your body and that's what we need to tell young people it's what we need to tell adults know your body know what is right for you and what is normal for you and then when something changes you then know what to say to your doctor yeah no I think that's great advice I have to say at my six week doctor appointment it was actually more like eight or nine weeks by the time I got around to yeah. going but they did they did ask they said you know have you had sex how is it you know are you on contraceptives that that type of thing so I think yeah from a sort of NHS GP perspective they were definitely you know making sure that I was comfortable and and yeah I think the second thing I'll I'll add to that is you know once you have had a baby whether or not it's sort of uh, vaginally or by a c-section you know you the, the approach to your body and how you see your body changes a lot and you know you go through quite a few most of them do anyway checks and I think it definitely changes you become more comfortable with your body and more comfortable checking because you realize actually you know we're all the same these doctors and midwives have seen hundreds of bodies and babies and vulvas and vaginas so actually you're you're okay you're in safe hands and, and that, any, any sort of awareness you had of that I swear goes out the window as soon as you're in birth or in labor like I totally, totally naked labor, yeah. surrounded by all these professionals because they were like this baby's looking huge oh my goodness <laughs> coming in I just absolutely start naked just lying there just, <laughs> and just not a care in the world not like I was just like I'm hot I want this baby out <laughs> no same absolutely same and yeah. I, think, I think when we, it takes us sometimes that process to realize that, yeah, this is me and this is who I am. And then also that, you know, but again, that totally okay if you didn't feel like that and totally okay if you're not that way. Is again, it's the same with nudity in front of children. It's something that's a bit of a taboo and people aren't sure, can I be naked in front of my children? But you do what is right for you and what is comfortable for you. Mm. Personally, we are fine with nudity in our household. It's, but what we have introduced with our, my children about to turn five tomorrow and seven. Mm-hmm. 
and they are we have a they've learned about privacy at school and pants are private and we have a very much like a knock on the door policy for the bathrooms and bedrooms so usually it's like yeah I'm fine like everyone's fine with it but you've given that consent for that yeah. for that that's where we have it but we are a very sort of nudity household you know not that we're cooking dinner and naked or anything but <laughs> We think it'd be fine if you are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely fine. We're, but when we're getting dressed or we're sort of upstairs in the bathroom and all the rest of it, there's no hiding of our bodies. Because I think it's really yeah. important that we embrace our bodies and show that there's no shame in that and we're all different yeah. sizes. And it answers a lot of questions for people sometimes just to see different bodies. So, yeah, yeah, no, I think it's really important for body positivity. And yeah, I think you, you know, you do see a lot about, you know, people saying, how can I expect my children to be comfortable with themselves and them, their bodies and asking questions if, you know, I I don't do it myself? I think it is that thing of leading by example. So as you say, yeah, introducing consent is a fantastic way to kind of to go to go down that. So moving on now, we've briefly discussed how this whole topic is sort of very taboo and there's lots of stigma around it. I wonder if you have any advice for me or listeners or the general populace or even, you know, brands and businesses you know, what can we do to remove some of this to be a stigma? Because it's, it's it's very similar with periods and period care. How can we how can we change the, that narrative? So I think first, first and foremost, what I quite often ask people to do in my workshops is sit with it. So why when I say sex or periods or anything like that, vulva, penis, scrotum, whatever, why when I say those words, is that affecting an emotion inside you? If it is, why? What is that? Where is that coming from? And just sit with that. Like, like feel it. It's okay to feel that. Like, I, I'm not saying that everyone should be totally okay and be shouting nipples from the ceiling, like from the mm. roof. Whatever. Like, everyone's different. Everyone has different social messages that they've absorbed, different parenting styles they've absorbed, all kinds of different, you know, education in all kinds of forms. So actually, sit with that. Think about how is that making me feel? Why is it making me feel like that? And then look at that sex re-education element. I say, okay, sex is a re-education. It's something I need to annually check in with and check in. And how can I sort of regularly keep that an eye on that? So social media is a great platform. Obviously, social media gets a bad rep for a lot of things. And I completely agree. But social media is great for following someone like me and completely normalizing it. When you're scrolling at the end of the day, which we all do, whether it's on the loo or waiting for the kids to get to sleep, you know, we're all having a, a scroll. Having something in your newsfeed or your timeline that's, that's talking about this, like as if it's, you know, what they have for dinner, just normalizes it for you. It normalizes words like vulva, which is a word that a lot of us haven't grown up with. And it feels really strange to use and tell our children to use. But actually just saying it, the more and more we do something, just like any habit, the more and more we say it and use these words and talk about it, the easier it becomes and it normalizes it. So having these conversations, telling our children to call their genitals vulva, penis you know scrotum testicles using all these different words labia actually it might feel uncomfortable to start with and I totally get that especially if you've grown up calling it a foof or a willy or anything else like that which I think a lot of us have um so actually getting them used to that because it's safeguarding for them is really important so just regularly keep doing it keep doing it keep doing it and before you know it it's become a normal habit it's become absolutely okay um having that my, I mean, having my name as Sex Debbie is, is part of the reason that I do that. It's a shock. It's a shock thing. Like, oh, people, 
so suddenly you can see them feel uncomfortable. And I have to say, well, why does that make you feel uncomfortable? Why does mm-hmm. the word sex make you feel uncomfortable? Because yeah. everyone, everyone has sex. Everyone has some sort of sexual encounter. Even if you're asexual, you've had some sort of asexual, you've had some sort of sexual experience in your life. Yeah. Whether you've seen it on TV or you've seen something. So sex is something that people are having. We don't like talking about it. We don't like talking about it being nice because is that going to start some sort of crazy revolution where everyone's just having sex everywhere? <laughs> but actually it's not. The more we talk about it, the more important it is, the more we normalise it and the more it's just something that everyone does and it's just, it's completely normal. It doesn't mean you have to have it in front of everyone. It doesn't matter how you're doing it sort of all the time. It doesn't mean you're talking about your intimate things you're doing with your partner. It just lets people feel seen and feel safe and having those conversations. Mm-hmm. So, and just slipping the old conversation in with friends and, you know, yeah. Friends will so quickly be like, "Oh my god, me too!" All <laughs> oh, that happens here, and you, it all comes out. Then. And and yeah. then and then once you're comfortable in those situations, you might be more comfortable with partners, your children, all sorts. So just yeah, trying try force. It's forcing a habit sometimes, but it's just hard. I understand that. And sitting with where that where that feels within you and why that is. Is it your upbringing? Is it something else? Where's that come from? Definitely, I think it's so true. Like that kind of connection that you can make with friends groups of friends girls boys from broaching the topic and bringing something up and I've definitely been there for where I've had you know endless evenings lunches coffees walks endless conversations about because once you start it ends up in a whole can of worms and you both realize how curious you are about you know sex in general each other sex sex you know sex in public all of these different kind of areas that you you potentially think about yourself and then as soon as one of you breaks the topic actually a lot of people are very comfortable sharing their thoughts or their experience and from that comes real really great connection I think as well which is yeah it's a bit like as a a teenager we've all played never have I ever or I have never (laughs) it's a bit like you're to play next you want to see where everyone else is compared to you (laughs) going on and it's a bit like that for adults now it's a bit like oh okay so what are they doing now (laughs) Okay, it's it's that it's that constant fascination we all have with sex, but no one asks the question. So actually, it's sort of well, actually, we can have this direct conversation. We're adults, and it's not going to go anywhere. And and understanding that what's right for one person isn't right for another. We all have different likes and dislikes, and that is okay. That doesn't mean that one person's a pervert or anything like that. It just means that we're all enjoying sex in different ways, and if it's in healthy, happy ways, then like crack on. Like this is amazing, and it, it brings you pleasure pleasure being the word that often is most uncomfortable to most people for endless reasons but Mm. actually why is that again sit with that why is pleasure making you feel uncomfortable because actually Mm. that's what we should be having sex for for the majority it's not otherwise we'd have an overpopulated planet of babies if it's going (laughs) to be making babies so yeah well also I think it's amazing that sex you know because it releases kind of happy hormones if you're stressed or you know sometimes even if you're exhausted actually having sex or you know having that, that intimacy actually makes you feel better makes you feel more awake in many ways yeah masturbation is is really 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 good medically for you you know yeah. it can actually help relieve symptoms of menopause it can help you sleep it can help you with congestion nasal congestion it can help <laughs> you with so many different things it makes you yeah. feel good. it reduces stress like it is like a happy happy hormone releasing yeah. thing so yeah it's shamed which well it it used to be it's hopefully mm. 
becoming more of a positive thing now. But actually, if we masturbate, we're less likely to jump into bed with someone that we shouldn't perhaps jump into bed with or as yeah. a bad decision. Because the decisions we all make when we're horny, we, you know, the texts we send, the things we do when we're horny. <laughs> and they change their mind later when the horniness is gone you know masturbate first and then make those decisions I think that's really <laughs> great advice actually if we sort of celebrate that and celebrate that sort of self-touch and understanding that that helps us learn our likes and dislikes it helps increase our body confidence and our sexual confidence we make better sexual decisions with relationships that we get into it makes us feel good it releases endorphins and chemicals like oh my god this is brilliant and yet it's something that we tell children get your hands out your pants don't touch your body like, yeah actually if that feels good absolutely just yeah. it's not appropriate when grandma's here for dinner go upstairs yeah. You know? yeah. yeah 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 totally setting boundaries no 100 it's all about that yeah obviously we've we've discussed mostly about adults and that sort of re-education side in terms of children and sex education does slash should it start at home or in the public slash at school for me in my opinion um sex education education starts from birth in my in my opinion you talk about sex in terms of sex education isn't just a penis and going in a vagina it's with what are these parts of my genitals called is there's how do i clean my body really important there's so many uh people with penises that we just accept that they don't clean their body properly because they haven't been taught that. And, and yeah. you know, things like smegma and buildup and, you know, skid marks and all these different things. Quite often we've all accepted as just normal because, oh, no, just boys are just gross or people with like this are just gross. And no, 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 no. What we need to be doing is actually bringing up responsible young people that know how to wash their bodies. Same if you've got a vulva and understanding that some products are going to cause irritation. Some companies are marketing different feminine hygiene products, as they call them, uh, to make money. They're not what we need. We need, you know, if you have a vulva, use warm water to clean inside. Don't put anything inside. Don't douche because your body cleans itself. Your vagina cleans itself. Using warm water on the exterior, a mild soap if required, but usually warm water is what we need to be doing. If you have a foreskin on your penis, pulling it back, washing the glands, washing underneath, making sure we all clean our bum and our anus. You know, these are really simple conversations to have with toddlers, but no one has them because they all feel uncomfortable. People people feel uncomfortable telling their son to pull back a foreskin or helping them do it the first time. Obviously they everyone's foreskin attracts at different ages. So that's a difficult conversation. But being aware being aware if your child's foreskin can retract so that when you know that they can clean it. I get that people feel uncomfortable and I understand completely why doing these things with children. But that's a massive life lesson that we need to be talking about. So actually, sex education starts from that understanding your body, understanding how to look after your body, understanding the names for your body. If you get need, is anything wrong, anything different? So you can talk to a doctor with the yeah. right terms. No one wants to be calling the doctor's office saying, my flower is feeling itchy. <laughs> and the poor doctor's receptionist, they've got a bad enough job as it is. They've got to decipher. <laughs> so that that's where it starts for me and then it's a case of if a child has a question answering it answering in age-appropriate language and age-appropriate terms and sometimes just seeing where their brain goes and, and what they want because sometimes we can over give them over too much information and not not coming not coming at them with where did you hear that from 
because we don't want to we don't want to shame them for knowing that we don't want to shame them for hearing it we actually want to embrace that my I had a delivery for example I had a delivery of 300 condoms and um my children were like what are they and I said well they're called condoms and what are they I said well they're like a balloon that you put over your penis to stop the sperm coming out because they know what the sperm's next and they, oh right can we see one of course you can they sort of see one they said looking at it and okay yeah fine and then they said so can we see how it works so I had a, a condom like demonstrator so we put it on they said all oh, right yeah cool, cool yeah okay a bit slimy isn't it I'm not sure I'd want to wear one I said well one day you know it's fine <laughs> right okay well yeah what's for dinner and there's off onto a different topic and then it obviously went in and I sort of thought about it and then later that night my husband was putting them to bed and my eldest said well how'd you go for a wee when you're wearing a condom and it was a case of what that's a really good great question they've thought it through they've seen it it's completely normal it's as if we've got condoms in this house like people might have plasters in theirs and it's just it's just it's just a completely normal thing and so he, you know, he is, was totally aware you can't put a hole in the condom because then the sperm will come out. So how do you go for a wee? Yeah. Great question. Yeah. And so those convers- norm- normalizing those conversations, and I completely get that some people might think that, oh my God, they've shown their child what a condom is. That's horrible or terrifying. Or, but it's <laughs> so normal. We have, yeah. obviously, even my job I do, we've got pictures of boobs everywhere, revolvers <laughs> and penis things and everything. But again, we talk about all other body parts and we d- we use the proper names for elbow and chin and nose. So why are we giving different body parts a different name and making people then think, well, what's the real name for it? And shaming that, that makes you think mm. shame. That makes you think, oh my God, I must talk about that. It must be rude. We can't mm. talk about that in the right, right way. It must be something naughty. Mm. We can then we keep secrets and all the rest of it. So it starts at home, in my opinion, and it then goes through school. And schools, obviously, at a young age, they do give the correct names for safeguarding reasons, which is really mm. important because obviously, if there's anything that's happening to a to a child, then they can then talk in a proper term. Again, if a child comes into school and says, "Uncle so and so shared my cookie" or do something like that, a teacher isn't going to flag that up if they use a yeah. proper term. Yeah proper word that's going to be fine so safeguarding is really really important and then obviously as they go along answering their question is empowering and it's positive and it's really really important because actually to empower them with knowledge helps them make great decisions yeah. and if we're not empowering with them that knowledge they will go on to google and they will mm-hmm. think it else and they will then be left in the wilderness to make their own decisions yeah. as I was because my parents did not ever talk about these things ever horrific hated it all went and made all my own decisions and ended up in some really interesting situations which oh I do not want my children entering into and actually I'd rather give them that knowledge and know what things is and give them a space as and when they become sexually active to come home to and that to happen and you know conversations to have happened with whoever partners parents and consent is a massive underlying you know thing within a platform for every conversation we have it's very much about consent and and then I know they're going to grow up into responsible young people and great adults and actually having great sex, which is again, really weird concept for us to think about uh, our children having, but I want, I don't want my children going off and being able to have great sex when they're obviously of legal age and adults and all the rest of it, which it's again, as a society, people are going to think she's mad saying that, but that's important. It's just as important as I hope my parents have great sex, which, Oh, we don't want to think about that. But <laughs> I hope they all do because I want to be that person. I want to be an old person having great sex still. Just as yeah. like it ought to be a positive, pleasurable experience for everyone, but also consensual, obviously. 
Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I love that story. Great story. And I think also not addressing things head on can also lead to increased curiosity, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But as you say, it's sort of, you know, that that can then lead in directions that potentially might not want in itself. So I think just, yeah, addressing something head on and, you know, for want of a better phrase, nipping it in the bud much easier and kind of better in the long run rather than sort of hush hushing it away and hoping that that topic of conversation goes away um because you know it will most likely come back and then there'll be more questions and more worry and concern around it so yeah I think that's great advice so you so you've now mentioned uh, your two children I'd love to understand how having your own children has impacted the work that you do obviously of course we when they grow up we'd like them to have great and be able to speak about these things very openly but other than that how has yeah how's having children impacted the work you do whether or not it's through uh yes speaking with with children and and also with adults too I think I want what I never had I think all of us have an element of trying to break cycles haven't we all all of us have got an element of cycles that our parents did and things that we would change and things they're the same and you think oh no matter whatever you look at that you want to change with your parents they were doing the same with their parents and before yeah. that and before that and before that which is why things change over time um and so obviously it's a case of breaking cycles and being aware of that and being aware that everyone's everyone's tried to do that in their parenting journey um for me my parents never talked about this at all it was a real taboo when I then become sexually active as a young teenager it was absolute furore I became homeless for some time it was a mad crazy world and so I'm sorry to hear that no, what? I never, it made me who I was and it was important within my sort of development. Um, and so, although, yeah, crazy, but actually what I want therefore is a safe space for my children and for their friends. So I go yeah. into school now and I give talks already in their school. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, as long as my children are at school, I will, I will deliver those talks for free in whatever school mm-hmm. they're in. I want the environment that my children are in to be positive, mm-hmm. I want it to be positive in terms of bodies and sex and anything like that and 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 I want them to be able to feel that they can ask me anything and and being having that being that safe space for an adult as an adult for children that actually I know that any children in their school will see me know me and I can be that safe adult for them that's massive that is and to have because a lot of young people don't have a safe adult because Adults don't feel comfortable talking about sex. And that's really upsetting, but also understandable. I completely understand why a lot of people do feel uncomfortable talking about it. I could have gone completely that way myself, but just happened to be a little rebel and <laughs> gone the other way. To the um, and so I having a safe, being that safe adult in that educational space or in whatever space, we live in a rural community and there isn't a lot of you know outwardly people like me there isn't people that talk about sex there isn't a lot of sort of you know gay families or anything inclusivity because it's rural we're just a little less diverse it doesn't mean we're less accepting we're it's a a fabulous community it's just we're less diverse in the cities because that's life and that's society so we do have a multi we do have some multicultural people we do have obviously diversity and we do have some same-sex couples in the school but not as many as perhaps other schools have mm-hmm. and so actually having someone like me who's really out there and is, has a safe space that they can just it's open door policy come mm-hmm. to our house ask a question grab mm-hmm. a condom if you're mm-hmm. of age you know it's all yeah. like we literally have in our dining room a bowl of condom and a bowl of lube sachets <laughs> it's just like 
and everyone for their birthday if they're an adult get um gets lube and condoms for their birthday um my friend recently, my friend recently had a big birthday so she got a vibrator <laughs> but it's like it's, I think I'd like to be your friend <laughs> and we have a giggle about it and it's exciting and it's a conversation in their households so it's creating a safe space that I never had creating a safe space for, for young people and also just wanting a better world for them I think we all want a better world for our children we all want to break those cycles and understanding that like it's okay it's not it is it is cringe for your mom to talk about sex and I'm sure we'll get to that stage where they're like or actually they're already at that stage because I went to do an assembly the other day and they're like how many times are you going to say the word penis mum <laughs> and I was like how many should we try 10 <laughs> Actually, so they're already at that stage, but actually, fun challenge. <laughs> they're all, they're secretly appreciative of it. They're secretly yeah. like, oh, actually, they know that they know it's safe. I mean, they're not teenagers yet. Goodness knows when they're teenagers. I'm sure I'll be like, don't look at my friends. Don't even talk to them. Like, <laughs> but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. At the moment, it's just sort of yeah, being that safe, that safe space, that safe adult, an adult that answers the questions. And so many parents have come up to me, and they're grateful for that. They're grateful mm. because they feel uncomfortable. They're unsure how to talk about it, and I've given them a starting block. Yeah. No I gave all of the children, any children I do primary education with, I give them all a box of sanitary pads to take home or something sanitary wear to take home, boys or girls or however ever they sort of identify in gender. Not because obviously all of them have periods, but because how many of us have had boyfriends, partners, dads who wouldn't touch those products mm. in the supermarket or thought they were dirty or embarrassed by them. And I want to completely normalise all period products for young people to know that it's totally okay. You can touch them, you can feel them, you can see what they are, you can mm. understand them. periods aren't dirty. They're all completely normal. And so that's something that like has sparked real conversations around the dinner tables in schools that I've been to and given those packs because they're like, oh, wow, okay you know my son for example has bought this home and I'm not sure why but he started me asking me questions or he's given it to me because I'm the only woman in their family or you know I had yeah. one one absolute lovely little boy say I'm I've just got brothers I'm going to keep these for my cousin you know thinking that one day one day he'll pass them on to his cousin and there might be a little conversation and that's so adorable <laughs> yeah that's so sweet I mean that's a fantastic idea and actually so important Ancestors is a period care brand and I always ask my guests if they have anything else to add that potentially would just be useful for listeners to hear or know around yeah anything to do with periods menstruation potentially periods after having a baby anything anything that you have kind of learned through your work that you think would be useful for, for listeners to hear one thing I I always say is periods aren't dirty like period period blood is the same as any other blood you know we wouldn't start going oh someone cut the finger like same and that's my real thing yes it comes from our vagina which is some a bit of a taboo but actually it's not dirty it's not something to be afraid of that's my big biggest sort of take about period blood it's sort of like yeah it's blood we all have blood running around our so this, is, this is just a part of it and it, and like we associate blood i think society with violence mm. it's like something that blood you see blood is like ow that something must hurt actually, mm. it's, yeah, it might be uncomfortable for some people with period cramps and everything else but actually it's, mm. it's the only blood we see that's not from something violent or surgery yeah. and so just let's sort of recognize that that's where we normally see blood in society and understand this isn't mm. that it's yeah okay. no that's great thank you for sharing that that's, yeah great advice so I'm going to ask you some quick cry questions. 
this is just off the top of your head the first thing that comes to mind there's there's no right or wrong, wrong answer just for listeners to get to know you a little bit better so the first quick fire question is your favorite quote motto or affirmation uh, every day show people your sparkle your uh, top tip for getting in the mood um remember your senses so remember smell touch taste noise all those make sure that you work out what is your optimum conditions in each of your senses and try and help them help you love that your best parenting hack packing the bag the night before always have (laughs) I I always have a bag by the door ready because so often by the time you've decided what you want to do for the day or what you're going to go and then you've got to pack a bag and all the rest of it I always have and the a rucksack ready by the door with stuff in so I can just pick up and go once we've all decided what on earth we're doing with our lives Perfect. Things always take so much longer than you think they do. (laughs) The most comfortable position for sex post-birth? Oh, totally personal, depending on where your any tearing was or anything like that. What I quite often say is, as if you are having a heterosexual couple, get on top because then you can lower your body down onto a penis, for example, if you're having penetrative sex, nice and slowly at your own pace without someone sort of ramming it in you at their pace, actually going on top. Top is a very vulnerable position for a lot of people, especially when our bodies have changed. If you're worried about that, lean forward. And then as the more confident you get, you can start leaning back and being a bit more exhibitionist. So yeah. Great. Great, great advice. So the next section is questions impossible to answer. So there's obviously no right or wrong answer there's no clear answer everyone's different from your experience or kind of just yeah sharing your thoughts so the question is when will I get my mojo back after birth when you go and find it um it's it's sort of like you've got to discover yourself whether it's Mm. body finding what feels good for you you need to take time and put it up your priority list Mm. yes your list is full but think how can we prioritize that time prioritize Mm. prioritize pleasure as self-esteem the singer would say and self-care oh my goodness self-care have a bath touch yourself Mm. take time face masks all of it yeah Great. Sounds great. Next section is Mythbusters. So this is, a, I'll say, a statement and you will say whether or not it's true or false. And depending on whether or not it's true or false, obviously feel free to add any comments as well. So the first uh, Mythbuster is my libido will change post-pregnancy and birth. Oh, um, could be true and false. So... <laughs> Uh, it could be down to your hormones it could Mm. be to your environment you might have a baby that sleeps really well and you heal really quickly and you're like yeah we're acing this look at me I'm a goddess um (laughs) you might have a baby with colic and stitches that don't heal and everything else and so libido isn't just something that's inbuilt inside you it's something that affected by everything around you so yes it could change no it couldn't change it just depends on the situation perfect no that's great perfect answer well Debbie thank you so much for joining us today hopefully our conversation has been refreshing for any listeners who are currently experiencing any of this or have concerns or worries about sex and intimacy thank you so much for listening and see you next week 
Thank you, Debbie. Thank you.